today, Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Wednesday, January 31st, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day and our last day of January. I was, Cindy and I were talking about that this morning, Wendy. I mean, January is over. I thought 2018 just arrived. It did. I mean, it's crazy. Time, time has an unusual way of moving both slow and fast at the same time. Yeah, you know? it does. It really does. It's bizarre. It's one of the most crazy phenomena that there is. I mean, like when you're a kid, you know, and it's two months to Christmas, those two months can take, you know, ten years. Ugh, it's an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? When you're a grown adult and you only have two weeks left to shop, for the kids that, like, have Christmas gifts, it's like, oh, my God, that time goes by so fast. That's right, yeah. <laughs> it's all the perspective. It's crazy. But, um, but you know, that it's a perfect LOA concept because it all has to do with how you focus. This is true. This is Whether very true. Whether time moves fast or slow is about our focus. Yeah. Just a side note. <laughs> well, it, well, it's going to also tie into the topic today because we're going to be talking about what uh, goes on outside of us and what goes on inside and where should we putting our, be putting our attention. Before we get into that, I want to tell you that there's one little outside piece of information that I want to share that's actually pretty darn good because we had our 19,000th play yesterday. I mean, we're moving wow. right along in terms of that. It's, it's just been terrific. And I expect we're going to hit 20,000 by Friday. Can you believe that? By, by February 2nd, we're going to be at 20,000 plays. It really blows me away. And, you know, I have a feeling that for as many times as you have asked our listeners to hit the subscribe button and to share this with their friends, I have a feeling that's exactly what they're doing. Oh, they're yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. doing that in a big way. There's absolutely no doubt about it because I, I really started doing that in a big way last summer. And it was very shortly after that that the numbers just started to skyrocket. So no doubt in my mind whatsoever, that's exactly what's happening. Thank you to listeners who are doing that. Thank you to all the people who have subscribed. And to those who haven't subscribed, we'll give you a little bit of a reminder later on in the show. Uh, but first, we'll give you a chance to make sure you really like the show before you do it. And that's only fair, right? You, know, you have to have a sample first. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Well, what's not to like? We're going to talk about like? fun stuff. <laughs> and we're going to feel good. That's the, that's the best part. We feel good throughout this, and then we make light of stuff. We don't take it all too seriously. And, uh, you know, it's a great I – mean, how, how many different kinds of entertainment do you have out there in the whole world of opportunity of entertainment where it's actually about good stuff? Most of it has all kinds of horror stories and drama and, oh, the drama queens are out. Yeah. <laughs> mm, totally. I agree. Yeah, this is good stuff. That's why you? I'm here. How about you? Any, any uh, wins going on? Anything happy going on in your life in the last 24 hours? <sighs> well, it was fun. Last night, I actually went to bed at 7.30. Oh, my goodness. Which is incredibly early for me. And um, then I woke up about three hours later, and I watched TV for a couple hours, and then I went back to sleep. And <laughs> I don't know. There's something that feels like I'm in a different world mm. when my sleep cycle changes. And not in a bad way, but like a good way. And when I get to wake up a second time within the day, it's like I get a second day. So that's where, like, time actually stretches for me because I had two days packed into Thursday because I woke up twice. That's true. So that's kind of a fun thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, and, and it's not your normal everyday thing. But I think the really fun part about it is the average person could have gotten all worked up about, oh, well, I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't go back to sleep. And that's not the way you looked at it at all. This is like a good thing from your viewpoint. <laughs> Exactly. You know, and I know that if I'm going to go to bed really, really early, 
that I'm shifting my sleep cycle, but I just always like to kind of see what's what it's going to do and how mm-hmm. is it going to happen. Sometimes I wake up with really incredible inspiration to like go and do something yep. at my computer or somewhere else in my house. Other times it's oh just change positions and you know go downstairs and lay in a recliner or you know and or meditate you know. And last night it was just watching TV and like <laughs> okay you know. Whatever well, comes up, it feels good, and I go with it. Nothing like a little brain rotting. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yes, the, uh, uh, the thing that I did last night that was a little different for me is I was actually up late because I wanted to make sure all of those, I, dare I say it, those computer issues are gone. They are now gone, and I'm not going to do what I did this morning. I made a big mistake this morning. This morning I told about all the things that went wrong. I'm not going to do that. Today I'm going to say, everything's going right. I mean, this is great. I've been, I, I actually have the opportunity to do other things with my day. This is, this is a, a phenomenal thing, and I'm loving it. I'm loving the fact so that I don't have to be resolved. It it's, it's smooth sailing. It's smooth sailing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, how lovely mm-hmm. when the computer works right. I just love that. <laughs> And, you know, very soon you're going to take your eyes off the computer completely. You're not even going to look at it in terms of is it working or is it not working? Is it working right or is it broken? You just want to be paying attention. That is when you've really tapped into the magic of law of attraction. When you take your eyes off of the thing that once upon a time was broken, because when you're looking for it to be working, you're still actually – There's a little piece, uh, yeah. You're still activating that it's not working. Thing because that's why you're looking to see if it's working. Yeah, but there, there is a little piece of that. Noticing altogether. I, I love when we're doing the podcast and I'm looking at the, the the virtual sound mixer that I use, and all I will see is a virtual sound mixer, and that's it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and the interesting thing is, no one can specifically tell you how to take your mind off of you know, focusing on whether it's working or not working, that's that's an inside job. That's something for you to do, you know, or you to figure out what works for you. Um, but the more you distract yourself from even paying attention to that kind of glitchy stuff, the more it becomes a non-issue and it is smooth sailing. Yeah, you, you can get ideas from other people, like, you know, what, what do you focus on when you don't want to focus on something else? You know, oh, well, I like to, to focus on... You know, doing my my meditation, or I like to do my affirmations. So, I mean, you can get ideas, but you're right. You have to decide for yourself what feels good for you, what what reacts well for you. And uh, actually, now that I think about it, as I was resolving all this yesterday, I was listening to some positive music. So that was yet another way I was kind of taking my mind off it while I was in the middle of it. Very good. Yeah. So that again, that ties in with the topic really well because, uh, and we'll tell you honestly, folks. Some days the topics come really easily. This was not one of them. <laughs> this was a day where we just like, okay, what do we got? And we started talking, working over concepts. And Wendy, you came up with the, the idea of, of what goes inside and what goes out goes on outside. And as we thought about, it, we realized that's that's at the core of this whole thing about how do you perceive what's going on? Because uh, while I was perceiving that the 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 computer was a problematic thing. What I was really doing was an inside job on myself, and it wasn't a nice one. <laughs> it was a pretty bad one. <laughs> but when, like you say, when you turn it around then, and you, you actually get to the point where you aren't even thinking about it anymore and you're thinking about the good stuff that's going on, now the inside job is a different kind of inside job. It has a different kind of effect. Well, now I'm really going to be curious about where this conversation is going to take us because 
what you've just said was not exactly what I was talking about. Okay, well, take us but in a I, different direction. <laughs> I have a feeling they probably will fit in. Okay. Well, because I, what I was saying is like when I, I woke up and I was watching some TV, I was watching some of my recorded programs, and what I've been focused on for the last week or so are two specific storylines. Um, and I don't know if they were both on A&E, but one of them was Elizabeth Smart, which this story is probably 10-plus years old, where she was kidnapped at age 14, um, kind of by a religious hmm, nut. Yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> I mean, he was he was doing things under the guise of Christianity, but he really had some whacked-out ideas, including kidnapping young children and making them their wives, I mean, and raping them. I don't know how that falls under real Christianity. Um, I know but it I was fall, really paying attention to her it, mindset. I know it doesn't fall real well under positivity, so this is kind of a dicey topic, but it's, it leads to a good point, so we'll bear with it. <laughs> well, and, and, and you know me, I never have a, a, I'm never worried about talking about something negative if it can go to something positive. Right. And so, and then I was watching that, but I was also watching another series, which was about David Koresh um, and the Branch Davidians, and that I think it's like the 25-year anniversary or around there of when that happened. Um, which again, he was somebody who professed to be a Messiah, and people followed him, and unfortunately, they followed him into the transitioning to the other side. Mm-hmm. But I was. What I was noticing that I thought was really fascinating about all the different people that were being interviewed and talked about is, like, one gal in the the thing about David Koresh, she was one of the survivors. Um, She had actually been let out of the compound earlier while the siege was still going on. And here she is, a grown adult, and she's still talking about it as if it was yesterday. Mm. And she's blaming the government for what went down, and I'm not going to get in the fight of how it went down or what was good, bad, or otherwise, but what I, what I noticed was her continuation to look outside of herself to the persona of David Koresh to speak to her what it is that she felt she needed to know for her eternal soul. Mm, yeah. You know, and other people that were being interviewed, they all talked about how he was this and how he was that. And another person said, without him, who's going to tell me what to do? Who's going to continue to lead me? How will I know what to do with my life? I have felt lost ever since he's been gone. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty fascinating that she was looking outside of herself to know how to live life. And I never once heard any of these people talking about going inside and recognizing that everything we need to know about our own life is contained within us because we're connected to all that is and infinite intelligence. We don't need to look to a guru to tell us how to live life. Very and true. so that to me was the concept of looking inside of yourself versus looking outside of yourself um, for your own personal authority of wisdom and knowledge and, you know, what's important. And um, when I was listening to the Elizabeth Smart story, I mean, she's a grown adult now, and she was narrating it. But what I thought was so intriguing about her is here she was in, like, a really uncomfortable situation. She was literally homeless 
because the guy who was her captor, he was had a woman, wife, whatever. So it was like the three of them living out in the wilderness with no bathrooms, no running water, no nothing. So eventually she lived in a tent, and some of the time she even was chained to something. So, I mean, we're talking really unpleasant. <laughs> unpleasant to say but the yet, least. Yeah, she did not... Um, I would say, in a way, she thrived. I mean, granted, it was not pleasant for her. But when she narrated it, she talked about how she thought in certain circumstances and what she needed to do in order to make it be not so horrible. Um, And even at one point, she said, you know what, he's so manipulative in how he talks. I wonder how I can use that manipulation to work for me. I'm like, and at that point, she was 15. I'm like, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah, that's She was paying endearing. attention. Yeah, she was paying attention to this guy who was just really yucky and, and was abusive. I mean, not in a really, well, rape is abusive. Very granted. abusive. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he wasn't, like, beating her, which, not that there's an excuse for one is better than the other. I'm not, not trying to go there. But the point is, she was thinking. She paid attention to what he was doing and went, wonder if I can use this to my own benefit. And she did. She actually played the same kind of game that he'd been playing and played up to his ego and said some things that got them to move back toward where she felt she could be rescued because he had moved them further away and she wanted, and he was ready to move again. And she's like, oh, no, if we move again to a big city, I don't know how my parents and my family will ever find me. So I want to move back towards home. Uh And she did, and I thought, all of that information came from within. She went inside herself and asked questions, and I believe her inner being was powerfully giving her wisdom as to how to navigate these circumstances. Certainly, it's horrible that she had to even go through it in the first place. Nobody should have to go through anything that she went through. But, boy, oh, boy, you have to give her credit for being in the middle of that horrific situation and having not just the presence of mind, but the presence of spirit to say, you know what? Mm-hmm. Essentially, she was saying, I'm going to survive this, and I even have an idea how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it by taking advantage of what my abuser thinks. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. whoa, that's, I mean, it, it's dire circumstances, so you have to take dire steps in dire circumstances. But those were brilliant steps to take, and it worked. That's the thing. It worked very effectively. It it worked for her. And, I mean, all along, I I mean, I watched the whole series twice because I was so fascinated with how she thought about what she was going through and how she maneuvered it. And, granted, I don't like to watch things for the negative thing. I watch it mostly for the psychology, and I was just enamored by her psychology and even when she did get rescued, and here's, oh, here's, to me, this was another big law of attraction moment. The whole time, she said she kept focusing on being rescued. Mm. She was focusing on being rescued. Now, she grew up in a very um, uh, sheltered, if you will, environment. She was not, you know, she, she, was, she grew up in Salt Lake City. She had Mormon belief systems. But her parents sheltered her from the evils of the world Mm -hmm. and so she was very innocent and didn't know a lot of like street smarts right but what i watched was how here she was i mean somebody who had no street smarts 
and yet used street smarts to make her life a little bit better while she was still in captivity. Yeah. And, but she kept going inside and asking questions, and she focused on being rescued. And I thought she, what was interesting is she didn't focus on the negative horrificness yes. of her circumstances. And even at one point, you know, or several points, she said, I don't know, maybe I'm going to die because she had gone three days without food. She had no water. Um, she said she could barely, like, lift her head. She was so weak from starvation. And she said, I don't know, maybe I'll die. But she said, but I'm at peace with that. And I was like, wow. And then the next thing you knew, she said it started thunder and storming and raining. And all of a sudden, she was able to, like, gather water together. And she had water. And I went, huh. So she let go of any resistance she might have of this situation and was willing to just let her body die. And the next thing that happened is she got refreshed with water. It's, and it, I don't know, it, I just I was just very fascinated at how she handled it. And today, oh my gosh, she is a huge advocate for survivors of any kind of domestic violence or abuse or kidnapping. Um, and she's just an incredibly strong woman and didn't go through therapy when she got rescued. She said, I was fortunate enough to have wonderful parents and wonderful family around me, and anything I needed to talk out, I talked out with them. It's really interesting because, like you said, she did something that Abraham recommends, which is to focus on the solution rather than focusing on the problem. Because, like you said, mm -hmm. she could have focused on that problem, and that problem was horrible, just absolutely ridiculously horrible. But she chose to focus on what she saw as the solution. And she was right. That was the solution to get rescued. And that's all she was interested in. So that everything that she could put her mind to had to do with, okay, what's it going to take to get rescued? I'm going to get rescued. Somehow it's going to happen. Well, yeah, that or else I'm going to die. But one or the other, it's, it's, it, there's, there's no third option here. I mean, she basically well, closed off her, she closed off any of the paths, really. It had to be rescued. That was the only option left. You know, and to listen to her, knowing that she grew up in such a sheltered environment, she didn't have, like, the mental thoughts of how she's going to escape. She really didn't focus much on escape because her circumstances caused her to feel like escaping would put her family in jeopardy because he promised that he would kill her family mm. if she ever tried to escape. So mm -hmm. it's like she, she wanted to escape, but even when she was in a position that would have appeared to maybe someone else like she should have escaped, she said, people asked me once I, I got home and I was rescued, why didn't you escape? You were walking around, you know, downtown of, you know, a big city, and why didn't you run away? And she said, because I really believed he'd kill my family. Mm. He managed to break into my house and kidnap me. I knew where he knew where they were. Yeah. And he said, she said, I would rather stay in this situation that's horrific than have my family killed. And so she, it, what's interesting, she didn't focus on escaping, but she did focus on being rescued. And I just thought that was really profound. And she said, I believe in fairy tales. I believe in happily ever after. And I just thought about how wonderful my life was before I got kidnapped. And I just really thought about that and dwelt on that. And I'm like, that's pretty interesting. It's very advanced is what it really is. Um, she was 14. 
It, it makes me wonder, too. I mean, certainly the situation she was in was really extreme. There are a lot of people who are in bad situations. Hers was probably among the worst. But there are others who have been in and perhaps still aren't in bad situations and dealing with them, and, and maybe some of them even are within the sound of our voices. So if we, if we had one of those people here and we were, we were talking with them and they were sharing their story with us, what do you think you'd tell them, Wendy? How would, how would you suggest to them that they look for that solution rather than the problem? How, how, would, they, how would you suggest that they, they proceed? Now, but what position, the person who wants to ask this question, are they still in captivity or are they on the other side where they're out but now they don't know how to think about it? Uh, well, I'm not thinking necessarily captivity. I mean anyone who's in any kind of really bad situation and they're still in that situation. There's always something positive in your life, even if in the moment you don't think it's there. The reason you don't think it's there is because you're not focused on what's good. And it, it's very airy-fairy, I would say, to say this while I'm sitting in, in a very comfortable chair, you know, with no negative things going on around me. Um, but what I do know based on, you know, you've talked about the reticulating activation thing in our brain and, and what I know from my studies is that of all the bits of data that are available to us, we focus on just a small number of them. And what I have learned in my life is that no matter how bad circumstances are, there is always something good, but you have to look for it. And so even if, you know, everything seems bad, but the sun is shining, that's good. And if you focus on how much you enjoy the warmth of the sun and how the light is allowing you to see what's around you, it's still a good thing. And even if that's all you have in, a, in the moment, it's something. And the more you focus on it, and the more you – and here's my little thing, because we're talking about going inside versus looking outside for information and wisdom. Right. If you look inside by asking, what can I focus on that will make me feel better? I promise feeling better will come. I promise that when you focus on that question – the answer will arrive. And honestly, that's how I've, that's the tool or the strategy or the question that I've used over and over and over in my life, no matter where I am. If I feel like something is bleak or I want an answer, I'll just say, I know the answer exists. And then I ask my inner being, bring it to me in some way, shape, or form that I can see it, that I can interpret it in a way that has meaning to me. What is it I don't know? What is it I don't see? What's the positive that's around me that right now I'm not focused on? Yeah, what you're show up. what you're really doing is you're you're trying to not trying you are successfully leveraging the way the law of attraction works because you you actually mentioned this a couple shows ago how you focus on something on a thought for at least 17 seconds and the universe feeds you another thought and mm -hmm. you focus on that for another 17 and and the universe feed you another thought. And once you finally get it out to 68 seconds, then you're in the realm of manifestation. Well, you can take advantage of those early steps, those early thoughts. That, that's what you're doing. You're, you're saying, you know, okay, if the only thing I can focus on right now is that there's a beautiful sky out there, at least I've got that to focus on. And by doing that, you get more thoughts that reinforce it. And then you focus on yeah. those thoughts and those thoughts reinforce until finally you get the answer to the question that you just raised, which is... 
How can I believe this? What can I do? Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool that it's the process is available, is available to anyone no matter how bad the circumstances are. Well, and here I am watching a program that, you know, in its essence is not an exciting at all no. fun topic. But yet I found so many positive things in there, and it's like she – I, I absolutely know she would be. An ab, she's an absolutely positive role model mm. because of her mindset. Yeah. Because of how she maneuvered through those nine months that were deplorable. That, and you know, a, and every now and then, yes, she used negative words. Oh, sure. She used things like damaged and destroyed and deplorable and miserable. You know, she wasn't like a just you know Pollyanna, airy fairy going through something difficult, but she was able to see kind of both sides. And even while things were negative, she found something. You know, when when it rained, she was so excited. You know, and I can imagine, I mean, rain to you and me might not mean much except for, oh, we don't go out, you don't get to go walking because it's <laughs> raining. But for her, it was a matter of survival after three days of no water. Mm. This was life to her. Right. Oh, sure. Like, wow. I mean, there's there's a... a a view viewpoint that we rarely look at rain in the the way that she did. It, it was the difference between life and death for her. Mm-hmm. And for you mm-hmm. and I, it's kind of like, huh? Well, we can't wait for the rain to pass and everything dry up again. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's amazing to me. But, not, no, well, not just amazing. It's significant. Let's put it that way. It's significant and noteworthy that I've heard a lot of stories of people surviving various stuff. Um, some cases like this where it, some some terrible stuff was being done to them. More often cases where people did stuff to themselves, like, um, well, Joel Elston, our, our co-host who does the 30, Thursday morning show with us, um, he has told me over the years that, that he and I were co-hosting on a weekly basis numerous stories about how his own uh, problems with gambling and, and how he was a horribly addicted gambler and so forth led him to some really bad places. And yet he always told every one of those stories with the final ending that they strengthened him. Not that they were terrible, but that they strengthened him, that they helped him learn how to focus, that they helped him learn how to appreciate what's good and how to, to find what's good and to, to move toward what's good. And that theme plays out in story after story after story. I mean, I, I haven't done lots of interviews lately other than with co-hosts, but early, in the early days of the podcast, I was doing a lot of interviews, and virtually every single interview was a story about somebody who had been through some really difficult circumstances and emerged not just unscathed in a sense, but they had emerged more strong than they were before. That, that's exactly what you're describing about uh, Ms. Smart. She, she emerged stronger than she was before. Well, you know, Abraham talks about how before we came into this physical existence, we had an understanding and a knowing that when we came here, yes, we were going to experience some negative, negative things, but that that was for the purpose of um, expanding who we are to move toward the thing that we then prefer. Because when you experience something you don't like, you, I mean, think about Elizabeth Smart. I'm sure she had all sorts of dreams of what she preferred while she was going through the negative stuff. Oh, sure. And, and Abraham talks about how to the intensity of the negative is the exact same intensity of the positive. So what she experienced in the negative thing in those eight 
eight, nine months, you know, she's now living the intensity of the positive. She's married. She has two beautiful children. She has a wonderful foundation where she's inspiring other uh, men and women who have been through horrific circumstances. And she has a strength of character that just blows my mind. And so if she had never endured those nine months, she would never have become the incredible woman that she is today mm-hmm. with an incredible mission. I mean, this, she has a very single-focused mission. You know, I'm sure before when she was 14 years old, all she was thinking about is, you know, going to high school and going to prom. Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the stories that uh, Joel's told, talk about a horrific story, um, it, it was a story that started off beautifully because he had adopted the first of, of what ultimately became three different boys that he adopted who were essentially abandoned into the foster care system and had and were old enough that they were pretty much unadoptable. And this first one, his name was TJ, um, became this really wonderful kid and, and had a tremendous influence on Joel as well in his own life and had you know, he he would basically uh, learn all the stuff that uh, Joel taught him about LOA, and then when uh, Joel was trying to get him to do something, he'd throw it back in his face, <laughs> and Joel just <laughs> had to laugh at him, like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is a smart kid. This is a really sharp kid. Well, the really, really tragic tale is that at age 21, he was uh, this kid, TJ, was hit by a truck while driving a car and got killed. And every time that Joel tells that story, he always um, surrounds it. He, he kind of envelops it in one single thought, which is, of course, it's a tragic in- incident. Of course, I wish it hadn't happened. But my whole memory from that point on of TJ was of how much I love TJ, not about the accident. And uh-huh. and to me, that was, he says, to, to me, that was not the thing that I, I just don't have the same feeling about it that, that people expect me to feel. They, they expect me to feel like, oh, you know, I'm so depressed, and, and you know, why did TJ have to be taken? He was so young and, and all this other stuff, and, and he just doesn't go there. He just doesn't uh-huh. go there because every time he thinks about it, all he can think about is how wonderful and how funny TJ was. TJ used to make him laugh like no other kid could make him laugh. That's all he can think about. Well, that's what happens when you're – coming from a difficult place, a really tough place, and just refusing to look at the crappy part of the situation, insisting on looking at the good side. That's what Joel does, and and he does it beautifully. And what many people don't realize, Walt, is that we do have a choice in how we want to view our circumstances. Exactly. If something's really uncomfortable and unpleasant and horrible, if we just keep focusing on how bad it is, it gets worse. Yes. Because law of attraction will help to make it worse. Yes. In our experience. However, if we go, okay, I know there's something good in this, even if I can't see it right now, I want to move toward what's good in this or what this situation is actually creating because of, just because of the nature that contrast always produces its, its opposite. And we were designed to look toward what was created by the negative experience. But so much of the time we don't do that. I know for me, I didn't do it for years and years and years because I didn't even know that was an option. It Mm. was never even in my thoughts like, hey, why don't you think about something positive? Because what would my response have been? Because this really sucks. This is horrible. Why on earth would I think something positive right now? Because this feels horrible. But 
that's where deliberate creation becomes such a powerful uh, tool because it puts a new thought of possibility in our in our own awareness that we can look toward the positive. And I think I'm so impressed by people who do come through it, you know, through it being some sort of really bad situation like that, who come through it by focusing within and by finding that positive. Because I can remember when I was in my depression, first of all, like I was talking about with Cindy today, I didn't even realize I was in the depression. I took my wife telling me, hey, you're depressed. And looking at it <laughs> saying, oh, well, am I really? I guess, maybe. But then when I was trying to climb my way out, finding I couldn't think of any positive thoughts. And I'm thinking, wow, these people have come through stuff much worse than I went through, and they were able to find them. That, that, mm-hmm. that, that to me is just so impressive because I know how hard it can be when you're in that place, how hard it can be to find those positive thoughts. And, and I know, I understand, and I, I actually used what uh, Abraham teaches that, uh, well, don't try to go for the, the really high-end thoughts. Go for the ones that are just you know, an increment or two above where you are. And if you keep doing that, you can, you can climb your, your way out. And that's true. You, you can climb your mm-hmm. way out. Uh, but that doesn't make me any less impressed by these people who have been in far worse situations than I have and have managed to find the positive thoughts anyway. I, I am really impressed by those people. Well, and the people who are finding a, a positive view, they're not looking outside of themselves to get it. That's true. They're not waiting for a billboard to say, think happy today. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know, they're not waiting for a movie to inspire them. They just went inside and they found some place in themselves that allowed them to see things in a more positive view. Now, you know, I was telling you that I was watching the stories of the people who were involved in the uh, David Koresh, Branch Davidian right. cult, where everybody, en- most people ended up dying. Well, the survivors, interesting, because they were saying they wish they had died, that they wish that they were a part of that, that to them, those that died in the fire, they felt that they were doing it for God. And that, that to them, their viewpoint was that dying for God was better than staying alive. And that was just how they think. And here it is, 25 years later, they're still angry at the government. They're still angry at the circumstances. They're still angry at the media. They're they're just still angry because they keep looking outside of them and blaming everybody for how they feel. Yeah, the thing that that really captures my attention there is the event happened, what, 40 years ago, something like 20, that? 25 years 25 ago. 25 years ago? Okay. So 25 years ago is, is when it actually happened. But in their minds, it has continued to happen ever since. They it have happens con- for them every day. They, they have continued to live there by choice. They've chosen mm-hmm. to live there. And that's such an, a key point. They could have changed their focus. They could have changed the topic. But they chose not to. They chose to I was continue actually, to live there. I was actually expecting to hear at least one or two of the survivors talk about how since it happened, they've come to a different way of thinking and that they somehow, you know, believe David Koresh was somehow misguided. But no, every single one still believed in the power and the messiahhood of David Koresh and believed that he was living a righteous life and that they all thought were followers of his 
because they believed in his mission, and they still, in their own way, believe in the mission, but they feel lost because they don't have the leader anymore. And I was just mesmerized by how they... I didn't hear one of them talk about getting a new insight or being inspired to some new idea, or even if they want to believe in that mission, that's fine, but how they found the strength to go on in a new way. No, it's like they're all walking around as victims. Yeah, they're walking zombies, really. They're what? They're walking zombies. They, 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 They don't really do anything to assert what it is they want to have happen in their lives. They don't ever, according to what you're saying there, and I expect you're right because this would certainly fit the psychology of it, they have not chosen to be in control of their own lives. They are determined to this day to have David Koresh or somebody else be in charge of their lives. I mean, they turned over the power of their own life to someone else. Now, I can speak to that personally because even though I've never been involved in a David Koresh-style cult, I've I've had what I would call my own versions of being brainwashed into certain thought processes or certain belief systems. And in my own personal exit, well, there were two specifically, it was because I really was looking to the teacher or the leader of whatever group I was involved with as the one that had ultimate truth. And I think of myself as a pretty darn intelligent woman, and I gave up my own power of my own being Mm. to two other people in two different times in my life. And it all came, and I know that I, I eventually wanted to understand why have I done this. And it was because I kept advocating my own internal power. I, I kept, I, I didn't believe that I had any kind of power at all to or to control my life. I mean, I grew up in a very, um, well, I grew up in a religious system that there was one being that knew all, understood all, and basically I had to follow um, in order for my life to be a happy, good life. And I don't know. I, I th- when I look at it today, it's like that really wasn't me. That really wasn't my truth. I was doing that because that's what somebody else um, influenced me to follow. And that's why I'm really fascinated by any kind of story where there's brainwashing involved because I'm like, I've been brainwashed. I have been. And it doesn't take a whole lot. It's just one thought, you know, you were talking yesterday about propaganda mm. where you just hear the same things over and over until eventually you start to kind of believe them. That's right. Well, well, yeah. That's the beginning of brainwashing. And as I watched the David Koresh story, it's like he didn't start out saying, oh, we're going to do this weird stuff. He just started out little by little with hopeful messages that were based on scripture. And then he started to make it a little bit more scripture and well that's okay but then he started to twist it about how he felt see he didn't come into the whole process thinking he was the messiah he actually started to question if he might be because he saw that his life was kind of looking very similar to the scriptures that talked about the messiah 
And, you know, according to law of attraction, the more you focus on something, it becomes a belief if you think it over and over. And I think he started thinking about, I wonder if I'm the Messiah. Could I be the Messiah? Is this possible that I'm the Messiah? And then other people started, like, validating, I think you are the Messiah. Well, then the next thing you knew, he went, I'm the Messiah. And then there was a, a FBI tape. They were using FBI tapes, you know, to um, uh, you, in the documentary to share the things that he said. And at one point he said, I am God. I am God. Well, I believe he really got to the point. He thought about it enough that he decided he was God. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and yeah. it's it's brainwashing 101. He brainwashed himself first and then those that were following him. But he didn't do it overnight. He did it little by little, but he was saying it over and over repetitively. And when you listen to someone who's not you, and they keep saying something over and over, it's easy to be influenced by that. And that's where, you know, you start allowing something outside of yourself to be the authority of your life. I wonder Instead of knowing that we're the only authority, you know, all all information that we need comes from within. Right. I, I wonder, I mean, as you were saying that, I'm thinking about the word brainwashing, and I'm wondering to myself, is that the right word? And I was trying to come up with a word that might work better. The best one I came up with was choice watching, washing, like washing away our choices or, or option washing or, or – uh, I'm trying to find something that basically says, I wash away, I abdicate my responsibility to myself. I want somebody else to take over instead. I'm washing my own influence away. I don't want my influence there. Does that does that fit, do you think, in some way? Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know that it matters what word we use, but I think all the things you were using to describe what brainwashing could be called, I think it's accurate. I mean, the only reason um, I was even mentioning that is – it just seems it seems to me that since we know that words are powerful, not just from a uh, an energetic perspective, from a perspective of, of positive and negative and so forth, but they're also powerful in terms of how they help us focus on topics. And I I think it's important when we're when we're anyone is dealing with something like this or thinking about this or wondering about this, it's important to recognize that it isn't like somebody else did it to them. They did it themselves. They washed away their own responsibility to themselves. They washed away their own power. They washed away their own choices. They did it. And you know what's really ironic about that? Um, I can say this from my own perspective as well as other people that I've known who've gone through this type of thing, is when an individual doesn't want to take the ultimate responsibility for their own life because they're afraid they may may make a mistake, it seems as though it's easier to put the responsibility on somebody else. Sure. But the word responsibility is kind of what it's all about. It's like, where does the responsibility get placed? Is the individual willing to take it or are they not? And if they're not, well, you know, let's put this in, in a bigger context. People who say the government is ruining our lives or, you know, the world's going to come to an end because XYZ group is doing something horrible, well, that's putting the responsibility outside of themselves. I mean, I'm not concerned what the government's doing at all because I know how, 
in terms of Wendy's being governed, I'm being governed from within. Absolutely. I've got Absolutely. I've got all the power of the universe on my my side. And literally this whole thing about responsibility, we we normally don't think about it this way, but if you break the word down, responsibility is actually two words, response and ability. So if you are wiping away your responsibility, you are wiping your wiping away your ability to respond. Oh, that's really clever. Well, I think it's true actually. You're you're wiping away your ability to respond. You want somebody else to respond for you. Exactly. And that's Exactly. I mean, if there's a better way of showing just how self-defeating it is, to abdicate responsibility, I'm not sure what that method would be. To me, that really spells it out. You are wiping away your own ability to respond. Well, I grew up in a system where um, it was very black and white. I wanted to do the right thing. Um, I heard the word perfection used a lot. I, I heard the word perfect timing used a lot. Mm. Um, I heard what's the right thing to do a lot and for me and my natural temperament who I, I strive to do the right thing anyway it just kind of made it that much more it put a giant exclamation point on it and it ratcheted up everything to the point that if I felt I didn't do something right that it was somehow um, a reflection on who I was that I didn't do something right or that it wasn't perfect or that I wasn't perfect and all of those things definitely played into what I would call my worth, worthiness factor. Yeah. And, of course, I wanted to be considered worthy of whatever. I wanted to be worthy. And, you know, for me, what I was taught was when you are, you know, steeped in this particular religious belief system and you do all the right things and you follow all the rules, then you're kind of guaranteed that all will be well and your eternal <laughs> salvation is kind of the result. Mm. Um, but what happens when you don't do it right? Now what? And so I, it's like, I, it, for me, how I grew up, the concept of being responsible, yes, I was hyper-responsible, but at the same time, it was such a heavy burden to carry to be ultimately responsible. And so there was a part of me where I did advocate my responsibility to authorities outside of myself just to because it was just too burdensome to carry it all that's, and yet i still felt like i carried it all so <laughs> that, that's fascinating though and it's a very good point because we can in a sense dump too much responsibility on people dump too much burden for them to carry on other people or more precisely we can accept too much responsibility too much burden for ourselves, and I think we should probably differentiate. Responsibility and burden aren't really the same thing. Burden is something that you shouldn't have been carrying in the first place, probably. Responsibility is your ability to speak out, your ability to, to explain, to say, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm thinking, here's what, what I intend to do. If, I, if you, I think if, burden for me was my response to what I thought my responsibility was. And it was too much for me to carry because I started carrying it when I was really little, like three, four, five years old. I was mm. carrying much more than what was mine. And one of the things, and this is not necessarily law of attraction, but yet I would say it's things that I've learned from Abraham about how 
I intended to come into human existence knowing that life was supposed to be easy and that I was supposed to live in a synchronistic flow and that the universe always had my back. I didn't grow up with that understanding. And so thinking I was alone, you know, I didn't know anything about God or a higher being when I was very little. Um, I just felt like I had to be, everything I saw that wasn't working, I thought I had to fix it. And starting out my life very young, thinking I was the one who had to fix it because the ones around me didn't seem like they had the capability to do so, that's when I started taking on burdens way too young in life. Mm. So as I think about it, it doesn't really surprise me that at some point when I was hearing about these lofty ideas that there's a being outside of myself that wants to carry those burdens for me, I'm like, please, please (laughs) carry them for me. Because this has been too too difficult of a road for me to go, you know. But so I think, in a sense, that predisposed me, perhaps, to um, other outside influences that wanted to um, have control over me or the groups that I was involved in. Um, because somebody else was toting this white flag saying we stand for righteousness and we stand for all that is good and kind and holy in the world. And I'm like, yay, so do I. I'm just going to jump into this community where this leader is like taking the responsibility, taking the burden, and I don't have to go for it. But then eventually it started to feel heavy to me. It started to feel like there's something wrong with this. You know, I think this person is taking on power that's not theirs to take. You know, and then eventually I would leave that group and then I'd feel better again because I was coming into right position with my own being. It's and I stopped looking outside of myself to know what what do I need to do in my life, what's right for me. And I would say now I'm way beyond um I don't I don't think I could I could be part of a propaganda machine ever again. Because I have such I've developed such a strong self i've developed such a strong knowing that all the answers i ever need in life are within me it's the ultimate dorothy from the wizard wizard of oz (laughs) you know click your heels three to get three times you know there's no place like home like she had the power within her all the time it's like finally that has developed a very with great strength within me it's really fascinating to me though because Abraham in particular has talked about how when we come into this life, we, especially in our very earliest years, still have a very strong awareness of our inner being connection. And we still have, a, a, a to one degree or another, we have a very strong sense of why we did come and what we're trying to accomplish. And we were here deliberately to not only experience the contrast, but to live a life of joy and so on and so forth. And yet somewhere along the line, either through the repetition of that same thought over and over again that turned into a belief factor that that you were taught through your family and your your social circle and so forth, through that repeat exposure, you ended up, like so many of us, abandoning that information that you came into the world with. And Mm -hmm. it's very logical Mm -hmm. that you would do that because, as my wife likes to say it, you know, we are dependent on the big people when we get here. So, of course, we want to pay attention to what the big people say. And if the big people say, I have the root, then we say, great, hooray. <laughs> I, am so, I, am, I am in such a better place because the people who give me my food and give me my shelter also know the way out. This is wonderful. 
So, I mean, it's just a fascinating process. I mean, because we come in knowing this, the the truth of how stuff is, and then we're so easily turned into this other non-productive direction simply by trusting the adults. And yet, I will also say that through the uh, negative circumstances that I lived through and through um, letting other people control me, um, even when somebody was... Because I advocated my responsibility, I gave it to someone else, mm-hmm. and then even in allowing them to like be controlling of me, that did not feel good. Mm. It's what I thought I wanted, but it did not feel good, and it was actually the not feeling good that caused me to make my exit. And even though I was taught it from an early age, don't trust your feelings, they're not trustable, I, I, to some degree, I was trusting my feelings. I didn't know that's what I was doing. But I knew that there was something that felt really not good about this stuff. Mm. And I had to get out. And then when I did, I felt like, oh, I'm free, this is good. Until I recreated the same kind of bondage once again. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got out and I was like, oh, I'm free once again. And then I think I came close to doing it again. Really? And this time I went, oh, no, 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 no. I see where it's about to take me. I've been down that road. I'm not going there again. Wow. Yeah. You know, but it's like it's been multiple, multiple years in my life. And the truth is I wouldn't give up any of it. Because through all the giving up of my own power to that intensity, I now have my own power. And so I'm rooted, I'm grounded, I'm not, I'm not shifting anymore. As a matter of fact, I was um, someplace where there was this lady doing these group, uh, group reading, and she specifically called me out, and she said, what I'm getting for you is that you are planted in the ground like, an, like a big oak tree where no matter how much the winds blow, you will not blow over and you will not be broken. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, I was—I absolutely knew that that was true. Mm-hmm. I wasn't asking for that validation, but she validated what I know, what I already knew about me, because that's how I felt. But it was really nice to hear it. Anyway. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if that is how I feel, and to me that that part of my character has been developed because of what I went through for the majority of my life up until more recently. And so I don't regret any of the negative stuff or the cults or the brainwashing or the propaganda machines that I I was influenced by. I don't regret having gone through any of it because it gives me incredible strength today. And I know there's a lot of people who I can understand what they've been through because I've been through it. And so for those listeners we were talking about earlier in the show who may be going through some negative stuff themselves, some perhaps really badly negative stuff, I think the message has now become clear. Don't worry about the fact that you're going through the negative stuff because it makes you, it does make you stronger. It does give you Absolutely. the ability to, once you get to the good place, to stay there because you understand a whole lot of, more about the value of the good place and, and the warning signs about the bad place. And simply just trust that you're, once you're going, well, first of all, trust that you're going to get there. That if you take just even the little baby steps, you will eventually get there and, and it'll probably actually happen sooner than you, you fear it will. And more than that, you can start those steps right now. You don't have to wait. 
You don't have to put it off. You don't have to. I mean, if you're only limited to the possibility of being rescued, then okay, you're only limited to the possibility of being rescued. But in most cases, that's a self-imposed limitation. It's not when you have to to wait for somebody to rescue you. You can rescue yourself right now. I mean, uh, Ms. Smart was perhaps a rather severe exception, but for the most part, we all have the opportunity right now and to I take be- control. I believe she did rescue herself with her thoughts and with her belief in what was good in life. I believe she did rescue herself, and that's yeah. how Law of Attraction arranged the circumstances for her rescue. Yeah, intentionally or unintentionally, I think you're right. I think she did uh, ultimately rescue herself. May not have known how she was going to do it, probably didn't know how she was going to do it, but nevertheless, by just staying focused on being rescued, she ended up rescuing herself. So it's very mm-hmm. cool. As a matter of fact, this is just a, a corny little thing, but within the story, she when she was working on manipulating her captor, Hmm. um, she said, I feel like God wants me to experience hitchhiking. Wow. Those were were the buzzwords that got his attention, her captor's attention. And I think, and and what happened is they went out and they bought wigs instead of doing kind of the garb where you have your face, for where women have their faces covered, that's how they were going out into the city. Mm -hmm. Well, this time she went out in kind of this really obnoxiously bizarre gray curly wig. And here she was, a teenager. What teenager wears a gray wig? And she had sunglasses. She had like this giant scarf over her head. And because of her appearance, that's how she was recognized with this other guy and several people called into America's Most Wanted saying, I think I just saw Elizabeth Smart, but I know I'm almost certain I saw the guy. Mm. And so in a way, she did create her own rescue. She did, yeah, in a significant way. And, and before we run out of time, I also wanted to follow through on a promise because we, we, we promised we would tell you how to be a subscriber if you're not currently a subscriber. And it's pretty simple. All you really have to do is go to LOAToday.net, You'll see subscribe buttons all over the place. They work really well on iPhones because you just click them and it just walks you through the process of becoming subscribers so you can continue to get all the episodes as they get published. If you're on an Android phone such as a Samsung or a Motorola or an NG or a, you know, a Nokia or one of those, LG rather, um, then you actually have to take an additional step. You have to go to the Play Store and download some podcast app. Uh, Podcast Manager is a good free one to download. But once you do that, download that, do a search using that app, and again, you'll find LOA today. So please do subscribe and, and share with your friends, too. So subscribe and share. That's our buzzword for the week. And, uh, Wendy, <laughs> once again, I mean, it, I, it occurs to me that you, we may even have people who are currently in situations where it's kind of either a cult situation or, or a situation where they need help in, in getting out of it. You'd be a person to talk to about that. How could they reach you if they wanted to talk to you? I'd be more than happy to take their call. Uh, you can find my phone number and my email address by going to my website, which is wendydillard.com. Well, this time, once again, we dealt with a, a, a challenging, difficult topic. I think we came through with flying colors, so that's the really beautiful thing. So let's do it again tomorrow. Okay. I will be here. So will I. We hope you'll join us as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.